I'm on my own version of a mission trip this morning. Um, it's a long journey from over there to get here. I, it, no, it really is. It really is a long journey. Um, and the, the reason I'm here this morning is because uh, our senior pastor, Pastor Otis, had a, a ministry opportunity um, with a, a dear friend of theirs, and, and he really wanted to do it, but it was on a Sunday. And... Um, and so he told them, let, let, me, let me pray about it. And, um, and he was going to tell them no, because honestly, Sunday is his favorite day. He loves to come and, and preach and hang out with you guys and just, um, just fellowship with God. And so he was going to tell them no. And then that night, the Lord gave him a dream. And he was in the dream at this location ministering. So he woke up and told them, I'm going. And um, isn't it nice to know that we have a senior pastor that just follows the leading of the Holy Spirit and just not stuck in, in the, the regular, regular things? And so I decided to not mind my business, and I was asking questions like, so what's, what's the plan? This was Monday. Um, who's, who's preaching? He's like, I don't know. And uh, he looked at me. He says, you have a word? <laughs> And I looked right at him and I said, no, no, I don't. <laughs> and I just told him, the only thing stirring in my heart right now is, is a message that I'm going to give to a local ministry called The Path, one of the ministries we partner with and support, um, a, mini- a message that I'm going to give to them. And I started kind of describing the, uh, the core of the message, and he's just smiling. And, <laughs> and as I'm sharing, I didn't need his look, I knew, like, this is what you do in the gap. This is how we're to react when we find ourselves in that moment of transition between um, what we feel like God wants us to do and that moment where we are able to do what God wants us to do. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. And so thus the mission trip to get from there to here um, has been a fun one. And so, but Over the last few weeks, we have been going through a series called Lessons from the Gap. And that gap is that moment where Jesus was resurrected from the dead and that moment when the disciples and all of God's followers would would receive the power of the Holy Spirit to go and do what God called them to do. What happened during that gap, there are some great lessons that we can learn from. And if you haven't heard those, any of those messages, I want to encourage you to go back, listen to them, because there's some powerful lessons that we could use today in those messages. And so, um, Lord willing, uh, we, we only thought this was a, a one-message series. Um, it turned into three. So, but Lord willing, this is the final chapter of the Gap series. And so, um, but I want you to think about where the disciples were just prior to the Gap. They were following Jesus. Jesus was beginning to um, illustrate that he was the Messiah. And many started to believe, like, this is the one we've been waiting for. And, And just before the cross, they were convinced that any minute he would come and overthrow the government and establish the messianic rule and reign in that area. And all the injustices would end. But then his life ended. And their hopes and their dreams seem to just come crashing down. And then he's resurrected. And at that moment, they realize this this thing is a little bit bigger than we had anticipated. 
This thing's monumental. And some other things began to come to realization for them. That he wants to do much more than just establish his kingdom on the earth. No, he wants to do much more than that. He wants to establish his kingdom in people's hearts. And not just the Jewish people, but all people. And then one of the final words Jesus shares with them is go. Go and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples. Go into all the world and preach and make disciples. And lo, I will be with you always. Then he disappears. The one who just said, I'll be with you always, exits. And they no longer see him. I can kind of sense the, the palpable emptiness that maybe the disciples were feeling. The guy that said he would always be with us is now gone. So all of a sudden, they were faced with a reality that we're going to have to learn to follow Jesus in a completely different manner. Because it was easy to follow Jesus up while he was here because he was two to three feet in front of them. He's going this way. Now he's going this way. They could follow. It was easy. It was easy to do what Jesus told them to do because he spoke it to them personally. But now all of a sudden, they have to follow someone who is with them, but not with them. Who is always present, but invisible. And all of a sudden, the disciples have to learn how to follow Jesus the same way you and I have learned to follow Jesus by faith, by just, just believing. This moment began a journey of trust between the disciples and Jesus, one that they had never had before. And this gap introduced a moment that opened a door for this relationship to go deeper and become more meaningful than, than they could have ever imagined. And I think it's important for us to stop and think about those times in our own lives when Jesus felt less tangible than we would have liked, when our circumstances didn't move from blessing to blessing to blessing. Maybe a time when God seemed invisible and distant, a time when we had to make a choice to trust God no matter what. The gap in our own lives, like in the disciples, is an invitation for us to build a relationship that is deeper, sweeter than anything we could ever imagine. So this morning, I want to share that gaps are necessary. And I'm going to share a very familiar passage. Many of you could quote it. You could memorize it. You could probably even teach it better than me. But I want you to pray with me that we would hear what God wants us to hear. Because that's ultimately why we're here. So Father God, we just come before you and we just surrender everything to you, God. We ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what it is you have for us today. We want to know your will. We want to know you. We want to understand how we are to move in this gap. Teach us. Teach us how to have this relationship that is more meaningful than we could ever imagine. We ask this in Jesus' name. Now, remember, this gap that began this whole series is the gap 
between the resurrection of Christ and the moment where God would give his people all power and authority. And now before God gives his people all power and authority, he wants to shore up a few things. He wants to make sure that their hearts and character are right. Because if you get power, but your heart and character aren't right, you're a shooting star. You shine brightly for a moment, and then you burn out and you crash. God didn't call us to be shooting stars. He called us in Philippians chapter 2 to shine like stars, to be the light of the world, to shine our light before all men. We are called to walk with great power and authority. We are to be living epistles, walking examples of Jesus himself, where we carry the gospel into the darkest regions of the world so that we can bring life to those who are dying. And since this is what's at stake, God wants to make sure that he shores some things up when, before the power comes. God, the gaps give God a chance to establish in us a very crucial element of our faith, and that is trust. You see, Christianity is not an organization, a set of beliefs, or even a religion. It's not a process. It's not a journey. Christianity is all about a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with a person. And trust is the currency of every relationship. Think about it. The people you love hanging out with are the people you trust the most. The way you honor people, the greatest way to honor people is to trust them, to believe the best in them. And you're willing to give people the benefit of the doubt when you trust them. Trust is the currency of every relationship. Trust is what makes relationships strong. Trust is also one of those things that we think we have enough of until we're asked of it. And then in that moment, we realize, oh, I don't know if I have what it takes. Peter thought he had enough trust. I'm willing to die for you. And then when the fear and the pressure hit, he choked. And so trust is one of those things that we need to develop. And fortunately, trust is like a muscle. It can be developed. It can be trained. It can be exercised. And that's what happens in the gaps. If you've ever felt like, I don't know if I have enough trust to do what God's calling me to do, that's good. Because God's purpose in our lives is to grow us from one level of faith to another level of faith. So he's always asking for deeper and deeper levels of trust. And so we have to develop it. We have to go into these moments and allow him to stretch and train and exercise our trust. And gaps build trust. But not just a general trust. But this morning I'm talking about a very specific trust in his goodness. And if there's one thing that's continually on display in Scripture, it's God's goodness. In the, in the book of Genesis, in the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in a garden. And he said, I've given you every seed-bearing plant that is good for food. He could have just given them what was edible. But he said, I've given you good things to eat. And I've given you every seed-bearing plant that is pleasing to look at. He didn't want them just to survive. He wanted them to enjoy the process. He wanted to bless them because he's good. He gave King David victory after victory after victory because David just loved hanging out with God. 
And God says, man, I love you. I've got your back. And David's son, Solomon, to this day, he's the wealthiest and the smartest man to ever lived because God gave him both. He only asked for one, but God's goodness gave him both. And then we get to the New Testament and God in flesh shows up and people run out of wine at a wedding. He gives them wine, not just wine, but the best wine. And you take Jesus fishing, your nets are going to break because every time he told them to cast the net on the other side, it broke somebody's net. They needed multiple people bringing in the catch. Feeding people, thousands of people got fed and there was always leftovers. He's not about just meeting the need. He's about blessing. He's about just being good. His goodness is what we need to have trust in. Not a process, not an organization, but a person. Hebrews 11.6 says, He is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. You want a reward from God? Just look for him. He rewards you. You don't have to work hard for it. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask for or imagine. I don't know about you, Jason, but I can imagine a lot. (laughs) And God can do more than that because he's good. He uses his power and authority for good things. Today I want to look at a very familiar passage that where I I believe God builds trust um, in his goodness during the gaps. Um, Psalm 23, many of you can quote it, but we're just going to read it together, and I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you while we read it. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Here's the thing about sheep, they love to eat grass, and when they're in a field of green, it's like a buffet time. But if the Lord is your shepherd... You lie down in a green pasture because you have everything you need. You're perfectly content because he's your shepherd. It goes on to say, he leads me beside quiet waters. Sheep, they're skittish, easily scared, kind of like people. (laughs) And God knows exactly how to lead them, where to lead them, what freaks them out, what makes them nervous. He leads them personally. The same is true with us. He refreshes my soul. He doesn't just provide for me and give me the money I need for the bills and the strength that I need to work, but he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Now life, it is a journey in which there are many possible paths, but God wants to guide us down the ones that are right. And along life's journey, there are many turns and forks along the way, moments of decision where God is the good shepherd and he's ready to gently guide us along the path that he wants us on and sometimes the path he wants us on looks like this even though I walk through the valley of the darkest valley sometimes God needs us in the dark valleys sometimes he needs us there I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me God's whole purpose in being our shepherd is to guide, provide, and comfort us. Verse five, I believe, teaches us the most about his goodness and why he can be trusted. 
Verse five says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Think about that. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. First of all, why a table? Why not a How to Follow God for Dummies book? That'd be good. Or why not a cache of divine weapons to use against those enemies surrounding me? But he says table. He prepares a table, and the table implies fellowship. Time is required to sit at a table. Our appetite is needed to sit at a table. A table that he prepares points to food or provision that he is making available. God in his infinite wisdom knows what we need as we travel down the paths of our lives. He goes ahead of us and prepares a table of what will supply us with what we need for the next few steps. I love the fact that he prepares it. He's my shepherd. He prepared a table for me, not for you, me. You have your own table, I have mine. He prepared for me a table, and on that table is what I need. Because he needs me to accomplish, because he needs me to accomplish some great work? No, because he wants to love me. He wants to provide for me. He wants me to know that I can trust him. I think that he does, um, I like also that he does it in the presence of my enemies. Wouldn't a meal with God be a little more enjoyable if he got rid of all the enemies? But he doesn't. I think what the Lord is teaching us here is that even though we may be intimidated, he is by no means threatened by our enemies. And it's possible for us, even though we are surrounded by enemies, conflict, and uncertainty, that we can take a moment and sit with the Lord at a table that he sets. And we can enjoy finding his provision for us in that moment. I think the most important idea this verse gives is that at every twist and turn in our path, there is a table that God himself has provided that will give us what we need for the next few steps. When you're tempted, at your table, you will find what you need to overcome the temptation or what you need so the temptation doesn't overcome you. When there's a decision to be made at your table, there is wisdom to make the wise choice. Whenever there is a need, a question, or a problem, before we react to it, we need to pause and ask this question. Where's my table? Where is the table that the Lord has set for me? Because he set it for a reason. He set it so that we can enjoy it, so that we can consume everything on it. Where is my table? And by looking for our table, we are inviting God into our gap so he can show us a little bit more of his goodness. Now, at our tables, we won't always get the answers we're looking for. We will still be surrounded by our enemies, but none of that will matter because our trust in God will be stronger. And it's our trust that enables us to follow God wherever he leads. Now, there's many things that we can talk about the table, but there are three specific things that I want to share this morning with the time we have left that I believe God wants to give us at our table. The first thing is at our table, we can learn to trust him daily. (coughs) Excuse me. 
In the Old Testament, God used the preparing of food as a means to teach his people to trust him. In Exodus chapter 16, um, we see the story of the manna and quail. Now, the Israelites, they're in the desert, and they're grumbling. They were really good at grumbling. And in God's goodness, he did not strike them down. He said, I'll provide for you. They were upset because they said to Moses, Moses, if we had stayed in Egypt, we were surrounded. We were around pots of meat. Now we're in the desert. And God said to Moses, tell them I will provide for them. And he gives Moses the instruction for the manna and the quail. Quail came in the evening and manna came in the morning. And what manna was, it was like bread. And it would, it would just fall from the sky and it would look like dew at first and then it would become this, this solid state where they could, could collect it. And they were instructed, take as much as you need based on the amount of people in your family. And there was a, a, a system that was used, a measuring weight measurement per person that they used. So each family gathered the same amount. So if you're a family of three, you gathered enough for your family. If you're a family of 10, you would gather enough for your family. And this happened every day. And there was some caveats. God would say, I want you to eat all of it. Don't save it. Don't save some for tomorrow. In other words, don't take life into your own hands. I'm going to provide for you tomorrow as well. So eat everything today. And for those people who were a little nervous, didn't had a hard time trusting God, and they saved a little bit for the next day, it was rotten and full of maggots the next day. God was teaching them, you can trust me, for every single day. And then when it came to the sixth day, God told them, collect enough for two days. Because the seventh day was the Sabbath, the day of rest. Nobody is to go out and work on that day. And so they would gather enough for two days. And on the seventh day when they woke up, it was not rotten and full of maggots. Because God was saying, I've provided for you today as well. And this happened every day for 40 years. What do you think God is teaching? What is he instilling in his people You can trust me. Through the manna, God is instilling in his people that they could trust him to provide for their needs on a daily basis. And through this story, he's teaching us the same truth, that we can trust him to provide for today, our physical needs today. We simply need to go out and look for our table. And then Jesus comes along in John chapter 6, and he deepens the meaning of the manna. As usual, there was a group of people asking Jesus, hey, can you prove to us that you are who you say you are? I mean, we think we know who you are, and, um, but can you prove to us? Is there a sign you can give to us? And they told Jesus, um, Moses gave us a sign. He gave us a sign in, in the desert when manna came down. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. And then in verse 32, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they're like, yeah, yeah, give us that bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. With this statement, Jesus is saying that when you look for your table, you will find me. And when you find me, you will find everything that you're looking for. And in Matthew 6, when the disciples were asking him, teach us to pray, Jesus said, pray this, give us this day our daily bread. He's reminding the disciples that following Jesus is a daily thing. Follow me daily. Ask daily. Give us this day our daily bread. And Jesus also said in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they will be filled. Why? Because God loves to feed the hungry. He loves to bless. If you need something, he's there for you. This is not a system where you have to measure up or or a formulaic thing where you have to say the right things. No, this is a person we're in relationship with. And when you hunger, he feeds you. And we can trust him. If you're hungry for direction, if you're hungry for God's presence, then simply pull up a chair to the table he's prepared for you. He will fill you with all you need, and during this daily process, you will learn that he is good. He can be trusted no matter what. How many times in your morning devotions has what you read in the morning showed up in the afternoon? You're like, I just read that. That's because that was your daily bread. He was providing so you would have what you need for later on. This is a daily relationship. The second thing is at your table, your understanding of scripture is deepened. Reading and understanding scripture is probably the most important task that we have in this life as believers. But scripture is not meant to to be simply learned academically or memorized. God intends for us to experience the scripture. And many times it's those scriptures that we've always known. Those are the scriptures that God uses to show us a more clear picture of himself. See, it's important for us to understand the purpose of scripture. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And these guys are people that knew the Old Testament. They could quote books and chapters of the Bible. They knew the scriptures. And Jesus said something pretty sharp to them. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Jesus says the purpose of scripture is to testify about God. It testifies about who Jesus is and who God is. So scripture teaches us who God is. And so scripture is not something that is just meant to be quoted and and, and believe that it should come to pass. It's meant to point us to the one who brings things to pass. Scripture's primary objective is to point us to Jesus. They testify about a person, not simply a way of life. The word of God is meant to teach us to trust in God and to pursue a relationship with him. There were two disciples during the gap for them on the road to Emmaus where this happened. Um, They were walking along the way and, and Jesus comes up beside them and they were kept from recognizing Jesus and they were downcast and Jesus said, hey, what's going on? I'm like, you haven't heard? Are you new to this town? Like, all that's happened? And Jesus like, yeah, what happened? 
which is kind of funny. I don't know. Jesus is like, no, I have no idea what happened. So they tell him, well, we, we were following this rabbi named Jesus, and we thought he was the one. Man, he, he checked all the boxes, and then all of a sudden, our rulers crucified him, and he died. We really thought he was the one. But then our women amazed us and told us that they went to the tomb, and it's empty. And a couple of other friends went there, and it's, they said the same thing, and now we don't know what to do. And Jesus says to them in verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. See, at the table where Jesus is with the daily bread, he opens up the scripture so that you can see him more clearly. And when you recognize him, you see that he's good. The disciples walked away. Were not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? When God prepares a table for you, he always intends to deepen our understanding of the word. His word is living and active. And in the gaps, God causes his word word to grow in us, enabling us to see him and his goodness more clearly from different perspectives. Our final point is a, simply a, a conclusion of everything that we've talked about. At your table, you discover that God is good. As our understanding grows of how good God is, so does our trust. Last week, in the story of Peter and Jesus at the beach, uh, Pastor Audie shared a great message about that. If you haven't heard that, you want to go listen to that. But I want to go back to that because that story really illustrates this whole idea of preparing a table for him, for us. Peter and a few of the disciples, they didn't know what to do. They were up to their, their eyeballs in, with questions. So that, that's it. We're going fishing. We're done. And they jumped in the boat and they went fishing. And Jesus shows up. They're like Jonah. They're running the opposite way. And Jesus comes and finds them. And he calls to them, children, a term of endearment, by the way, have you any food? He cares. And they say, no. So basically, Jesus has come to them and said, hey, I see you've gone back to your old job. I see you've gone back to that old way of, of thinking, the old habits. How's that working out for you? We have nothing, was their response. And then Jesus, just because he's good, says, why don't you cast your net on the other side? And they throw their net and they catch a haul that they can't even handle. And Peter, lights go off. He realizes it's the Lord. He jumps off the boat and swims to Jesus. And he finds Jesus on the shore. And Jesus does what Jesus always does. In his goodness, he prepared a table for them. 
He already blessed them with more than they need. But he's all about relationship. Let's sit down together. Let's have a conversation. I have something for you. And during this time at the table, Jesus reconfirms Peter's call, basically saying, Peter, I forgive you. I I want you to be a part of this new thing we're doing. I want you on my team. I believe in you. And Peter and the rest of the disciples, you have to understand, prior to this moment, their relationship with Jesus was one of a rabbi and a disciple, one of a follower and a leader. But after this moment on the beach where Jesus blessed them, found them, and created a table for them, their relationship with him is deeper than it's ever been. They now realize, I can trust him. We may not be completely sure about the workings of everything around us, but we can trust him. And that's the goal of the gaps, is to show us that we can trust him no matter what is going on. God can be trusted in these gaps. I just wanted to uh, take a minute and share a personal story that we encountered in this because I think these ideas are so stirring, but sometimes it's hard to understand exactly their application in our everyday lives. But um, years ago, our sweet daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And so if you don't know too much about type 1, it's just a whole life of needles, lots of needles, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just dealing with trying to regulate your body. And um, so it was okay. You know, she was seven. And um, we, of course, were so thankful that we could get her some medical care. But over time... As we prayed about it and asked God to heal her or to, um, you know, just as we prayed and prayed about it, it just, it didn't change. So then um, we just kind of stopped. I've, I've kind of stopped praying about it so much and that sort of thing. And I, what I didn't realize was that gap in my life, that place where um, I wanted God to just, just to heal her or deliver her from that, and he hadn't, it really became a place in my own heart of, uh, like, where I felt like I really couldn't trust God's goodness, like, ultimately. And that became a tear in that trusting relationship between me and my Heavenly Father. And to say, but if you're good and you can heal, then why don't you? And, um, and as I struggled with that, I, I would try not to think about that because um, I didn't want to think like that, but it was still a reality in my heart. And one night, a number of years ago, I was here for an extra worship service, and um, I just felt like I was not even praying about my daughter or anything. I was just trying to worship and that sort of thing. And um, I just felt the Lord just so much wanting to deal with me. And in that moment... Um, I, I was just like, I, I went on my knees and I was just praying and I saw before me a table 
a table and it was set and then there was bright lights and there were huge bowls of mashed potatoes and the, the bowls were being passed from person to person and everybody was laughing and everybody was talking. And I was like, oh, this is so good. Like, I, you know, like, and um, I was just picturing as those bowls were passed in my mind, I understood that those bowls were the bowls of God's goodness. Like I understood that every time I laughed inside of my home with my family, the laughter came from the, the love and the joy that was built on who God is. If I didn't know the scripture, I wouldn't know how to forgive. If I didn't know how to forgive, I wouldn't have a solid marriage. If I didn't know how to be patient and, and receive the patience God has had with me, I wouldn't know how to be patient with my children. I wouldn't know how to stand and keep going and have that confidence to endure through the hard things of life if it wasn't for the word of God and the goodness of God poured into me. And at that table, as those bowls were being passed, I just like could see like, oh my gosh, how good the Lord has been to me in a thousand realities, in a thousand little moments every day of my life. And then I heard the Lord say to me, no longer will diabetes stand in question of my goodness. No longer. And I just like broke and I was like, God, you're right. Like I have let this thing be a riff between me and you for all these years. And the reality is, you're good. And I see your goodness in my sweet daughter. The light that she is, is from you. Because you're good. And I bring this up to you to say, because not that this is about diabetes, it's not. But I know that every person in this audience has that thing, that child that they lost, that diagnosis they don't understand, that marriage that failed. All of those things in our lives that if we let them, they can stand and question the goodness of God. But we don't have to let them. We can trust that God is good no matter what. And in that gap... In that distance between the reality of of illness or whatever it is, we can let that be the very thing that brings us into a deeper place of trust as we walk with God. So as we just go into a time of reflection, we just wanted to invite you to think about those things and to ask yourself, is there that place in me? Is there that small thing that I need to bring before the Lord this morning and say, God, I'm done. I'm done questioning your goodness. I can see it in my life. I trust it like I trust the air that I breathe. And today I want to lay it before you.